Hi, my name is Agile, and I support Gen X Grown Up through Patreon, and I believe you should too. Just go to patreon.com slash genxgrownup. Drawn and Paneled is the comic book showcase podcast from Gen X Grown Up. Every Wednesday, we bring you news, reviews, interviews, insight, and commentary on the comic books we love from the golden age to the modern age. Welcome back, Drawn and Paneled podcast listener. This is the special part of our series where we do a back issue podcast where we talk all about a favorite series or book or story arc from our youth in the 70s, 80s, or 90s. I am George, and with me as always today is Jason. Cowabunga, dudes. Okay. And we're <laughs> starting early on the bad pun stuff. There we go. That's my Jason. I'm here to please. <laughs> <laughs> Well, one of the things that we love to do here at Drawn and Panel, Jason, you're not going to believe this. In our last episode, we got our very first piece of listener email, right? Right. We got another one. Can oh, you believe wow. that? Four episodes in, five episodes in, whatever it is. This is like episode number five, technically. It's the second back issue that we've done. But we've already got our second piece of listener email. We've gotten some reviews out there. We've got listener email. Uh, that's great. It means people are listening or one person's listening. I don't know. At but least that's one awesome. person, right? Yes. <laughs> <laughs> All right. So today we've got one from John. And John says, hey, Jason and George, I know you guys are comics experts. Okay. Well, uh, sure. We'll a little debate there. <laughs> <laughs> and I'm far from it. I've collected a few books in my time, but kind of casually. But I have a question I'm hoping you can answer. Several books I used to read would occasionally come out with an annual issue. Mm hmm. This was a thicker than normal comic, maybe two or three times the length of a regular issue, and it never seemed to be part of the current storyline, but instead was a self-contained story. What's the deal with those? I always enjoyed them, but never understood them. What motivated publishers to make these, or who were they actually targeted at? New readers, longtime readers? Thanks in advance for your insight, and I look forward to hearing more drawn and paneled in the future. Well, okay, great question, first of all. Yes, thanks, John. <laughs> I'm going to let you handle this one, because while I love Love comic books, you're kind of like my comic book savant. Like, you know all the facts and why people do things and stuff. So, of course, I'm building you up, so you got to deliver now. Right. Well, I'll... <laughs> I'll do my best. Annuals is a tricky one. We could talk probably a whole episode just on annuals. Okay. But to get to his point, I did some research. And as far as the question, who are they directed to? I couldn't find an answer. And so... My answer to him is yes, they were to new readers and to longtime readers. It makes it was, sense, right? Yeah. yeah. I mean, new readers especially, they feel like they can't jump into the storyline that's been going on for maybe 10 or 15 issues already at that point. So they get an annual and it's that one story arc they can read. it. It's kind of like a trade before there were trade paperbacks, really. Yeah, more or less. Annuals started out as reprints back in the day. So okay. it was a opportunity for the publisher to maybe put some stories from, you know, past issues into one thicker book. Then it became an opportunity to tell a story that wouldn't fit in a normal comic book and have some, maybe some reprints or some backup material in the background, like maybe some pinups, some text pieces. And then it evolved from there. Marvel and DC are really the two that do annuals on a regular basis. But yeah, sometimes it's new content. Sometimes it's reprints. Sometimes 
sometimes it's a combination of both, but it is targeted to new readers and to, you know, kind of a payoff for longtime readers. Like here's a big, you know, special story that we're doing. Like, you know, for instance, the one that comes to mind is Amazing Spider-Man annual. I'm, I'm going to get in trouble, uh, <laughs> but it's the one where Peter and Mary Jane get married. Well, and I remember reading annuals like I would get the new Teen Titans annuals when they were coming out. And right. A couple of different series. But the whole point of it is, is I mean, annuals, definitely they were a little bit of a cash grab, but they also had some good value to them. And there are some annuals out there that are worth quite a bit of money out there because they had maybe a new character that would get introduced in some of them sometimes or a particular story arc that became very important later on. So annuals do have a solid place in the comic book history. Oh, yeah, they definitely do. The The one that comes to mind is Avengers Annual 10 was the first appearance of Rogue. Mm-hmm. So that's a big one. So they're out there. They're worth collecting and picking up for sure. Well, John, thank you very much for the question. Jason, let's jump right in and talk a little bit about the book that we're going to cover today in this back issue. We are here today to talk about Teenage Mutant Ninja Turtles issue number one. And I'm not talking about the cowabunga pizza eating cartoon Teenage Mutant Ninja Turtles. I'm talking about the black and white, dark, gritty Teenage Mutant Ninja Turtles that I first read in issue number one. Yeah, and they only printed 3,000 copies. So there's Mm -hmm. not a lot of them out there, which makes them valuable, especially in good condition. Right. So let's jump right in and start talking about Teenage Mutant Ninja Turtles issue number one. Let's go. And then begins a wild chase across the rooftops of Gotham City. The frenzied efforts of the criminal to escape, making him an even match for the super smooth running machine we know as Batman. Hey there, Drawn and Paneled podcast listener. I want to take just a second to tell you about something you didn't know you were missing. I'm John, and along with Mo, hey everybody, and George, hey, how's it going, guys? We are Gen X Grown Up. Gen X Grown Up is a website, YouTube channel, and audio podcast by and for Generation Xers, kids of the late 70s and early 80s who may have grown older but have refused to grow up. Every week on our podcast, we cover media, games, tech, toys, comics, games, and pop culture of yesterday and today through the eyes of guys who grew up loving that stuff. And every other week, we do a backtrack where we pick a single nostalgic topic from our youth and dig in deep. You can find us anywhere you listen to your podcasts or find us right on our website at genxgrownup.com. If you're a Generation Xer or know someone who is, I hope you'll check out Gen X Grown Up. Your dinner cannot just be french fries. Basically, life sucks as a No matter what you guys think out there in the comic book world, we would not have comic books if it wasn't for the creators. And before we get into the creators of Teenage Mutant Ninja Turtles issue number one, we have got with us today a creator of his own right, Joel Rodriguez, the co-founder of Metal Ninja Studios, who is also a writer of books from Metal Ninja Studios. Joel, how are you doing today, buddy? Hey, I'm doing great, George. Uh, thanks for having me. It's an honor to be here. Yeah, no, we're absolutely. Glad we're glad you're here. So, Joel, tell us a little bit about your process. I know that you're a little bit younger than Jason and I, but you have been in the comic book industry for a while now. You're creating your own company. You've created some of your own books. Tell us a little bit mm-hmm. about Metal Ninja Studios, some of the stories you've done, that kind of thing. Yeah, well, Metal Ninja Studios itself is a really new company. We actually just founded back in July of 2018, um, but I've been writing for years now. My I started my first story, Rift and Fracture, which is going to be the 
um, flagship title for Metal Ninja Studios. I started that back in 2015. Okay. Oh, wow. Okay. And that story essentially follows to a married couple because I grew up reading Stan Lee. um, Oh, (laughs) yeah. We've all just talked about Uh, that one recently, right? Yep. So I grew up with Amazing Spider-Man, Fantastic Four, all of those. And I loved the Fantastic Four because of the family dynamic. And Oh, good point. Yeah. And when I started writing Rift and Fracture, I had just recently gotten married. Oh, okay. Congratulations, by the way. Thank you. Thank you. (laughs) And she's still with me, so I haven't messed that up yet. (laughs) (laughs) So, long story short, it's a married couple who each have superpowers that manifested when they were little kids, but they handled them in different ways. The guy is afraid of his powers, refuses to use them. His wife uses her powers to make her life easier. So they have that different dynamic there. Okay, Um, nice. But their their life is thrown into turmoil when their house is destroyed by a corrupt military agency that's hell-bent on capturing them and experimenting on them for their own means. Oh, okay, it kind of feels like a superhero story, but it's more of a survival story because um, their char- the character names are Rift because he doubles as a vigilante at night. But that's really the side story, whereas the main story is what happens when the vigilante has no home to go to. Wow. wow. Okay. That, that sounds really cool. I'm, I'm really I'm starting to buy into this a little bit. I know, Joel, you and I met in Orlando at a convention a little while back, and I was very interested in finding out some more about the story. Now that you're talking about it, hearing the person creating it who's talking about it, that just brings a whole new light to the story. Have you guys published any of these yet? Where What stage are we at? So we have a couple smaller projects coming out in the meantime. In January, we're actually going to start shopping around for a side story that I have called The Dusk County Chronicles, and that is a single-issue, 24-page story that consists of four five-page short stories, and each of these short stories is a horror parody of a popular um, children's theme or stories such as Toy Story. There's oh. one. Oh wow! <laughs> yeah, th- there's one about um, um, completely blanking on. Uh, it's about Peter Pan. There's hmm. another. There's another one that's a parody of superheroes like Superman and others sure. like that. And okay. the final, the final one is Goldilocks and the Three Bears. Wow. Okay. okay. Uh, <laughs> So nice said, broad range of topics there. So that's yeah, pretty cool. Yeah, yep. Um, I wanted it to be kind of a different take on these stories that has a surprise twist in the end. I'm a big fan of things not being exactly what they seem. So okay. everyone knows the story of Toy Story. It's a bunch of happy toys that have a little bit of trouble, but they go about their happy lives. But what happens when you have four of these toys stuck in the middle of nowhere in a van and one of them starts killing the others? What, <laughs> oh, what, what happens with that? 
<laughs> so well, that, <laughs> I mean, I. It sounds to Nothing me like good. you've got some <laughs> super creative stuff coming. I'm looking forward to this. But you mentioned four characters in a van. So there's yes. no doubt that that's a great segue into the book that we're going to talk about today. Teenage Mutant Ninja Turtles issue number one. We got four turtles on the half shell. Jason, let's talk a little bit about the guys who created Ninja Turtles, just as we were talking to Joel about the stuff he's creating. So we've got Kevin Eastman and Peter Laird, right? Correct. They were roommates back in the early 80s. Both were writers and artists, and they wanted to kind of break into, publish their own work, and create a Mirage Studios. Right. They were roommates back in the 80s and wanted to create their own comic book, so they created Mirage Studios, which was Peter Laird's kitchen. So that's why they what, called like his, it. His kitchen was called Mirage Studios? Like there yes. was a sign on the top of the door or something? No, the, they chose the name Mirage because it wasn't a real studio. It was a Mirage of a oh. studio. So, yeah. So <laughs> That's clever. They came up with a Kevin Eastman one night, just joking around, drew a, a Ninja Turtle. And by the end of it, they had created the Teenage Mutant Ninja Turtles. It was kind of an homage slash parody of kind of the 1980s gritty Marvel like Daredevil, but also with some Jack Kirby influences from the earlier right. days. So that's what they that's what they came up with. They both took turns writing and drawing the different pages, inking each other's work. So they both have a hand in that first issue, and first several issues, actually, of the well, series. I want to know a little bit, did you do any research on Eastman and Laird? I mean, surely this wasn't their very first thing. They must have done something before they did Teenage Mutant Ninja Turtles, right? I, I couldn't find anything that they had done before. This is really much their, their world cycles around turtles. Even afterwards, they've been just attached to turtles they've they've gone on and done some other works um you know peter laird had mirage for a while and uh, they both kind of started their own sort of um companies where they would give grants or loans to people that wanted to self-publish works kevin eastman's oh, okay. still heavily involved with the turtles he does a lot of the work on the idw turtle series mm -hmm. uh he still goes to a lot of conventions uh i haven't seen i don't think peter laird goes to as many conventions but eastman you can spot him here and there at different conventions and get your well, joel this is gonna make you feel good i mean these guys their first thing out the door becomes teenage mutant ninja turtles i mean one of the most popular comic book series of all time and hits all the media and everything I mean, can you imagine if... And it was a parody, so one can only hope. Right. That's right. That's right. <laughs> You're yeah. right in the wheelhouse, man. This is perfect for you. You're just like, I can see you just like salivating. You're like, oh, Teenage Mutant Ninja Turtles, Toy Story, Horror Story. Oh, this is going to be awesome. <laughs> oh, That's yeah. great. I can hope, man. I can hope. That was probably the Fantastic Four's greatest fight yet. Now for the final blow, the coup de grace, as it were. Then Susie made her move. Your glasses, I have them. No, no. Sorry to interrupt, Gen Xers, but this show will be done before you know it. And then what are you going to do? You're going to need something to fill your ear holes with. And we're here to be that uh, ear hole filling thing. We're Blockbuster Nostalgia. We're a movie podcast that's counting down the biggest hit films of the 1980s based on how much money they made. Because that'll show those dirty 80s commies. Each week we have a few drinks. Or a lot. And talk about a different classic film. Which inevitably leads us to rant about things like... 
Where Luke Skywalker kept his sex robots. What if Mel Gibson in Lethal Weapon was in fact a velociraptor? Who would win in a fight between Rocky Balboa or a Gundam? How the Winter Olympics should definitely feature rabbit wolves on skis. We even cast Vin Diesel one time as a talking car in a Smoking a Bennett style rom-com. And we pitch Paul Blart Part 3, the one where he's a Thundercat. We've been at it for two years now, so we have plenty of vulgar, definitely not for kids, fun for you to enjoy. From Die Hard and Dirty Dancing to Ferris Bueller and Star Wars, we've got your favorite 80s movies covered. Check us out on Facebook, iTunes, or wherever you get your podcasts. Teenage Mutant Ninja Turtles gave us a ton of characters that are part of pop culture now. Oh, sure. Yeah. yeah I mean, you know, yeah. One of the main characters I wanted to mention first was Master Splinter, the talking ninja master sensei rat that lives in the yeah. sewers. <laughs> <laughs> Splinter was a really cool character. I remember reading that first issue and, you know, you see, I've seen some of the animated movies and stuff and they were fairly true to what Eastman and Laird put in this book. You know, he was in his little cage and mimicking Hamato Yoshi, his master, he was mimicking all his right. ninja moves yep. and yes. all that kind of stuff. Really cool. But I loved how in this book, Splinter is not the sole narrator because I think that people tend to think of him as being the guiding principle for the story oftentimes because when they started doing the cartoon series and the video games and everything, Splinter was the guru and the guys were all kind of doing their thing. But in this book, it's not just Splinter. It's the whole breadth of the universe. A lot of the different characters have different points of narration. And we'll get into that when we talk about the book a little bit later. I always thought of Splinter as the wise Sensei, he wanted to train his sons to do good and fight evil, and yeah, he is not doing so that. Much. In the, yeah, this. yeah, this. I mean, he. <laughs> nope. Yeah, I want. I want you to learn to fight and go kill this guy. I mean, that's. <laughs> I mean, He's like, all wow. about revenge. He's like, oh, the, he yeah. really is a nasty little rat, isn't he? He just oh, wanted yeah. to kill some people. He is not a friendly pet, not at all. And the person that he is wanting to seek revenge against is Oruku Sakai, who is also known as the Shredder. Everybody knows the Shredder, leader of the Foot Clan. But he had a really interesting story, too. I didn't realize that he was the younger brother of the guy that Yoshi killed early on. I don't know why I blanked on that. But so he's got kind of his own revenge tale, really, when you think about it. It's his brother. You know, you got to look at it from his point of view. He's a little young kid. His Mm -hmm. older brother, who he idolizes and everything, even though his older brother was a complete jerk, right? Right. Mm -hmm. Yeah. He doesn't know that. He's his younger brother. Who knows? I mean, unless your older brother is like a jerk to you, as a younger brother, you probably idolize that person. And I imagine it was the same thing with him, the way they led this character out. He's just like, looking. this guy killed my brother. Well, of course he's going to grow up and try and get revenge on that guy. So there's parts of that character that you almost empathize with a little bit. That's right. definitely he was seven a sign years of, old. Yeah, yep. And that's definitely a sign of good writing too, because the best villains are the ones that you care about. So yeah, I think right. I think they did a really good job with Shredder in this issue. Yeah, I did. I, I like Shredder. I thought the uh, Hamato Yoshi, the woman that he and 
uh, Uruku Sakai, his older brother, they were kind of battling over a woman. And that's what led to the tragedy that ended up with his brother's death and all. I felt like her character was a little bit of a throwaway, but I yeah. did like how that storyline, you know what it reminded me of? So back in my time, back in Generation <laughs> X, there was a movie called The Karate Kid. You guys know right. Karate Kid, right? <laughs> oh, yes. of course. And I don't know why, but I had flashes of the first two Karate Kid movies when I was rereading this book because you got Daniel San who falls in love with the girl, but the girl has the mean, jealous boyfriend guy that's kind of slightly abusive. And, it, and it's the same in both Karate Kid 1 or 2. So you can watch either one. It's going to be the same story. <laughs> right. <laughs> but that's kind of what happened here. It's just that instead of in Karate Kid where he wins the trophy or does something else here, the bad guy just gets killed really quickly. <laughs> right. They move on. <laughs> We've got to talk about the four title characters of this book, the Teenage Mutant Ninja Turtles themselves. We've got the four guys named after Renaissance artists, Leonardo, Raphael, Michelangelo, and Donatello. I don't think they each have significant character development in this book. Am I wrong in this? No, I think they really only focus on two of them in the book. They focus mainly on Leo because he's the leader, of course. Mm -hmm, right. And then they have a brief section with Raphael, but he's more of a messenger boy in this story. A little bit of a mean ass yeah. messenger boy, right? <laughs> right. <laughs> right. I think they do get a little bit into the personality of Leonardo and Raphael um, in that beginning. You kind of get the sense in Leonardo, and we'll talk more about the narration, but in Leonardo's narration, you get the sense that he is kind of the calm, cool, collected one. And he does mm -hmm. mention that Raphael is next to him and he can feel that Raphael is tense and ready to right. spring yeah. into yeah. action. And, and you get the sense that Raphael is kind of the bad attitude one, not super in depth, but they're alluding to it. Well, and you notice too, like in that same piece of narration, he talks about Raphael separately. He lumps Michelangelo and Donatello into almost the same line. And I wonder if, those two characters, I don't know that they had a real in-depth plan. We know later on that those two characters get a lot of development in the other iterations of Ninja Turtles. Michelangelo becomes the goofy, you know, surf uh, skateboarding character. Donatello is the technician, you know, that kind of stuff. Right. But yeah. That's all later on in this book. None of that is there. They are really just two other guys who happen to be fighting with Leonardo and Raphael, in my mind. The only little bit that sort of made me think that, oh, yeah, that's Michelangelo's at the very end of the story after the battle is won. Uh, Michelangelo says, I'm tired. And that that is kind <laughs> right. of a Michelangelo yeah. thing. Yeah. Yeah. Fair enough. Uh, Joel. You are a writer by trade. You write comic books now as part of your livelihood. Yeah. What did yeah. you feel about the character development in this book? Like, was there any character that stood out to you? Were there any characters who you're like, real? I really expected more out of them? What did you, what were your thoughts? Well, kind of going along with what we were saying, I really expected more from Michelangelo and Leo, but, or not Leo. Donatello. Donatello. Yep. Yeah, going uh, along with what we were saying, I do wish that they had a bit more characterization with Donatello and Michelangelo. But at the same time, when you're introducing as many characters as they are in this 140 page story, obviously some of them are going to get pushed back a bit. When it comes to really good characterization, 
I like what they did with the Shredder because they did his backstory. He doesn't have much for monologue, but with his backstory alone and the little bit that we see him, he's not just a man in a mask. He's right. Good point. A fully fleshed out villain that you actually kind of care for because you know what happened. And at the same time, like we said, with Leo, they flesh him out as the leader. Kind of the leader, right? He's the wise one, um, always giving them orders. When they first go to fright Shredder, he's the one saying, use your climbing claws and climb up. Listen to what I say. Yeah. So I think with those two, they really gave them the most characterization. Well, there's definitely a lot to get in there with the characters. Let's jump right into the book synopsis and the story itself. His fists clench, his chest expands, his wrists enlarge. The rage within him erupts like lava from a suddenly active volcano, and he becomes the Hulk. Huckleberry Comics is a publisher working on creating the most innovative and unique graphic novels, one-shots, manga, tabletop games, and even eventually video games. Right now, we're working on getting ready to launch Dream State Radicals, a project which has taken 18 artists over two years to create. It's a gritty sci-fi thriller in the vein of Dusex, Blade Runner, Detroit, and so many more. It's an awesome graphic novel with tons of free concept art, and we'll be launching on Indiegogo early 2019. Follow us on Twitter, at HuckleberryDSR, like us on Facebook, or check out our website to learn more. Guys, no matter what, if it's not for the story and the writers, nothing happens. We just have some individual turtle-like things standing on a page, not talking, not doing much of anything, unless you have a story for them to have (laughs) something to do with, right? (laughs) Yeah, yeah, yeah. Now, we know in this story, we get a great origin story for almost every single character in the Teenage Mutant Ninja Turtle universe at this point, which, in my opinion, is a little bit unique. We talked about New Teen Titans in our last back issues, and in that one, you only got the origin story for one of the New Teen Titans, and that was Wonder Girl. You don't have a book very often give you the origin of almost every major character in the book within that first issue, at least in my experience. Is that true for you guys? No, that's definitely the case that I've noticed. I was surprised by how much backstory they were able to put in and still let the story flow. Right. Good point. Yeah, the story still flowed, didn't get bogged down with the origin. Um, Also, um, One reason I think it's like that is they wrote this not expecting to do a second issue. They wrote this as a one shot without, you know, not really any plans of doing any more. Yeah, that's right. I didn't think about that. Yeah, that makes a lot of sense because they had to get it all out then. And that's why the end ends up being the end of this issue uh, that they ended up having to backtrack (laughs) a little bit later. Right. Right. But we have mentioned it several times throughout the different segments so far in this episode of talking about the different character narration points. And I found it to be, again, another unique piece to this work. The character narration points, even in the lettering, the way they did it, like the narration points had their own panels. Yeah. I'm not used to seeing that. Usually the narration is part of another panel and there's action going on everything, but there was like just white space and the letters. And that was it. I thought that was really smart. I really liked how that made that part of the story stand out. Yeah. I I liked it a lot. It made the the, the stuff pop too. It made, it made the pages 
kind of a neat presentation, almost like a work of art with the way they had the panels and the action and all that. Well, speaking on that, one of my favorite panels in the whole book is when Splinter is there with the four turtles and they're climbing around right after being covered in ooze. And mm-hmm. they work they work the lettering for the captions into the black background with white. So they're using negative space instead of putting it in bubbles. Uh, right. So they actually Yes. They actually work it into the art. And that's really unique. And I love how it makes that panel look. See, and this is you know what, Jason? This is why I love having special guests on our podcast. We're one of the only podcasts that brings a special guest on every episode because they can bring insight into some small little minute thing like that that you wouldn't get any other way because I'm not going to pick up on that. But Joel no. noticed that right away. <laughs> right, That's freaking yeah. awesome. Yeah. I mean, but well, and it's weird. It's you missed it. But at the same time, it was there. So it right. had an effect. We just didn't recognize that effect. And that's one of the great things about what Eastman and Laird created with the series. Such subtlety in such a very in your face kind of presentation. I mean, how much crazier do you get with an idea than saying, I'm going to have four turtles who can talk and are taught by a rat all about ninjutsu <laughs> and they go to try and kill some guy from Japan? Who comes up with that idea, but then can still weave in the subtlety that mm-hmm. Joel's talking about with lettering and negative space? I mean, that's just crazy. One of the great characters in the story is Splinter. His whole story is all about revenge, which is kind of a mirror to the Shredder's revenge that he took earlier on Splinter's Master. But it's not something that people think of when they think about Teenage Mutant Ninja Turtles. Just like you said earlier, Jason, they think about Splinter being this guru, let's all do good for society kind of guys and teaching his charges, his turtles, how to go out there and protect people and look after people that's not the splinter in this book at all not at all no he's let's uh let me get four guys that are younger and stronger than me train them and point them in the right direction to kill some people i mean yeah (laughs) i can't kill this guy so i'll get these guys to fight my battle (laughs) right and i thought it was also interesting in this story you know we always we know the foot right the foot is the Mm -hmm. clan that splinter or sorry shredder is in charge of but in this case, I didn't realize that in the, I forgot in the original story, the foot is a clan in Japan. And then the shredder is just shrimp to New York to like start up a new chapter, a new like West coast foot clan, so to speak. And I think that's one of the things that's lost on people. They always talk about why do the foot soldiers always get killed so easily by the turtles? Well, remember these are not Japanese fighting ninjas. These are guys that shredder just picks up off the street and trains them as best he can to keep his criminal empire going. But these are not people who are dedicated lifelong to the art and practice of ninjutsu. They're just throwaway cannon fodder. And Shredder and Splinter kind of use those characters like Splinter uses the turtles as his cannon fodder, so to speak. Right. Yeah. Yeah, and Shredder uses uh, definitely that final battle. He kind of lets his minions take the take the beating before he steps in to you know sort the turtles out and i thought it was interesting as well you talk about that right before they start the final battle between shredder and the turtles mm-hmm. he's like i see you've survived but you have not survived it with unscathed and you know they got battle scars already right. all over them and blood and cuts and everything so it was a calculated thing that that character did An- another great piece of this story 
that people forget so often because you've got the Saturday morning cartoons and the video game and everything that talk about none of this kind of stuff. No, I mean, we see blood splatter in this book. We see scars, um, people getting their teeth knocked out. I mean, the, these are these turtles are rough and tough for sure. <laughs> <laughs> That they are. Joel, you probably didn't read this book when it originally came out in 84, I'm guessing. That I did not. No, no, can't say I did. But what did you think about it? Like, was this the first time that you read it when you were coming on this episode or had you read it before? And what are your thoughts versus what you knew of the Turtles versus what you saw in this issue? Well, I actually grew up watching the Turtles cartoons and everything, and the Turtles, among are among the characters that got me into comics to begin with. So mm-hmm. I've read this issue before, but it has been years. Um, so I refresh my memory and I definitely, these are not the turtles that I grew up with, but I love them just the same. Um, <laughs> they are a lot more aggressive and I think one of the reasons for that is because the issue is in black and white. With the cartoons and everything, you know the turtles based on the color that they use. Mm -hmm. But in this one, the only way to differentiate between the turtles is the weapon they use. Right. That's that's a good point. And weapons aren't made to just sit around and look fancy. So you have to differentiate it by showing them in action. And with a sigh, there's really only one thing that can happen there. So it makes sense. And these are definitely much more aggressive. Like Jason was saying, there's blood, there's death, there's broken teeth, broken bones. But it is all in all a really great story. Well, and like there's even segments in there like Leonardo using his Cantana swords and he's running guys through like right yeah. through the chest with it and everything. Yeah. That's not something you would have seen in the cartoon. No. And Donatello with the with his bow staff, he's not using it just to whack a guy on the head and he goes unconscious like he's trying to jam it down people's throats and stuff. I mean, yeah, there's some yep. dark right. battling going on. And that's a good point that regardless of all the fighting and everything, they come together in those final battle scenes at the end of the book to start fighting as one unit. They do it a little bit at the beginning when they're fighting that one introductory gang group that they start off telling you the story. And that's just kind of to give you some frame of reference of how strong these guys are. Doesn't matter if the group that they're fighting has small arms, weapons, or anything like that, they're still going to win. But we see their origin, how they get to that point of going from that little test that Splinter sent them out on all the way through to fighting the final boss battle with Shredder and the Foot Clan. Eastman and Laird craft a beautiful fight story with this thing. It's almost like Bruce Lee Enter the Dragon kind of stuff. Yeah. Right. Yeah. And I thought it was cool because the, the turtles each tried to, you know, I guess prove how strong they were on their own and Shredder's just... You know, there's just no match for Shredder, but they finally decide, no, we're stronger as four of us. And, you know, that does the trick. Did anybody pick up on the fact that at one point Shredder tells them as he's fighting them one on one, you're too slow. And I'm like, oh, OK, so we're going to go the turtle slow reference oh. now. <laughs> <laughs> I'm like, wow, OK, that's cute. That's quippy. I get that. Well, all in all, the Teenage Mutant Ninja Turtles fight for their master. They fight for revenge. They end up getting the better of Shredder and 
Oddly enough, this is not a thing like where they have him arrested and taken to jail and the cops have him and take off his mask or anything like. No, they just flat out kill this guy. Yeah, that was that was pretty surprising. <laughs> they kill him. Well, they, they give him the opportunity to kill himself, you know, the, the noble right. Japanese yeah, this, way. And then he pulls yeah. out a grenade. And I guess it's it was it Donatello that that knocked him off the building. Yeah, Donnie threw his staff and hit him in the face with it. So yeah. even that was a brutal scene that mm-hmm. we definitely were not used to. No, I mean, and it's funny that we say we're not used to it when this was the first thing that <laughs> there ever was created about the turtles. But everything else that's been done about the turtles is so inundated into society and pop culture that this is the thing that's been forgotten, which yeah. I think it's really important to bring to light because this really was like. I, don't get me wrong. I enjoyed the cartoons just like Joel did growing up. But, man, this is so good as an adult being able to read this kind of a story about characters I knew about from when I was a kid. Right. Yeah. Yeah. Yep. yeah. I mean, I'm, I'm with Joel. I grew up and with the Turtles. That's what got me into comics and liking most of the stuff I like. But, yes, I'm with, I'm with you. I mean, this was a very good book to read for sure. They kind of give you the history and it's just fun. It's just fun stuff for sure. And one really cool, interesting factoid that you guys who are listening to us right now might not realize until you read this book. And we hope you go out and read it. There's plenty of versions out there where they've reprinted this thing several times and there's compendiums, I'm sure. And Jason's going to put a lot of this stuff down in the show notes below so you can go grab some copies. Mm-hmm. There is no damn pizza in this book anywhere <laughs> not one slice of pizza here it's a hot bath and some tea yeah Ex- good point right <laughs> exactly i mean it's just crazy how parts of a whole universe for the teenage mutant Ninja turtles have developed over the years that everybody just assumes they're like okay they've got a kid who likes to skateboard they wear colored bandanas and they eat pizza those are the three things that everybody talks about when they talk about Teenage Mutant Ninja Turtles. If the kid goes and buys the toys off the shelf, he's going to have the Teenage Mutant Ninja Tur- Turtles truck with the little pizza shooter that <laughs> throws pizza things out of the front of it or yeah. something. Uh, gu- guilty as charged. I have <laughs> and all that stuff. Yeah, <laughs> And none of that would coincide with their line that's in this book. It's a pretty solid line. We strike hard and fade away into the night. Yeah, I I loved that. When I first read this a few years ago for the first time, that you get the fight scene um, with the purple dragons and Leonardo, you know, kind of narrating it. And then you, you kind of close out that opening scene with that. And at the very end of the book, after they defeat Shredder, it ends with we strike hard and fade away into the night. I thought that was great. And I, I wish they would use that in a movie because I mean it's a great line especially with the Im- yes, imagery that they used with both scenes where they use that line I mean that would be just cinematic greatness I mean that's just writing greatness well instead we get cowabunga yeah we yeah <laughs> here goes concentrating all his energy Flash sets up a vibration force so great it shatters the circuitry of the two robots and they collapse into heaps of wire that did it I'm free 
If anything in this episode has piqued your interest, we put links in the show notes you can click on to find out more. Catch up on past shows and be alerted every week when a new one drops by subscribing to us in Google Play, Stitcher, Pocket Cast, TuneIn, iTunes, or wherever you like to listen. While in iTunes, take a second to rate and review the show. And if you have a friend who isn't yet listening, why not? Tell them about us. They'll thank you later. We love to hear from our podcast listeners, so email your thoughts, suggestions, questions, ideas, or complaints on this or any other past episodes to drawn at genxgrownup.com. And find Finally, Drawn and Paneled is more than a podcast. You can find our other content on the Gen X Grown Up YouTube channel or our website at genxgrownup.com. Gentlemen, that will do it for another back issue of Drawn and Paneled. I really enjoyed talking about Teenage Mutant Ninja Turtles number one with you guys today. More importantly than anything, though, Joel, thank you so much for joining us today and offering us all your expert insights. I think hearing some of your thoughts on this book really opened my eyes up to some stuff that I wasn't even thinking about. Oh, thanks. It was, it was definitely a blast. I had a lot of fun and I hope I get a chance to come back. No, absolutely. Oh, you definitely will. Oh, yeah. Now tell everybody where they can find Metal Ninja Studios at. Yeah, we are and Facebook and Instagram at Metal Ninja Studios. We're on Twitter at M Ninja Studios, but really the best way to keep in touch with us is through our mailing list. We send out bi-weekly emails, keeping everyone up to date with what's going on in the studio, especially since a few of our stories, um, Rift and Fracture being one of them, they're kind of far out. So we want to bring people in as much as we can so that they can grow with the stories. If you go to MetalNinjaStudios.com forward slash drawn and paneled, we're actually, you'll have a chance to sign up for the mailing list to stay up to date with these emails. In return, you'll also get a free 22 page digital ash can for my upcoming story, The Dust County Crown. Wow, that's, that's awesome. Wow. So all kinds of goodness in that and thank you very much for creating the landing page again that's metal ninja studios.com forward slash drawn and paneled that gets you to the mailing list that gets you the ash can and that gets you tied into the metal ninja studios universe which is going to be growing and expanding we expect very large very soon so joel thank you so much for being here yeah thank you joel thanks again it was a pleasure jason always glad to have you by my side on these podcasts Oh, it was a blast, and uh, I think it's time we strike hard and fade away into the night. (laughs) With that, we will see you guys next time. See you guys later. Bye. This podcast is an affiliate of the GWW Radio Network. Visit Geeks Worldwide at thegww.com for news, reviews, and opinions on video games, comics, TV, cosplay, and more. Hello, and welcome to Novel Conversations, a podcast about the world's greatest stories. I'm your host, Frank Lavallo, and for each episode of Novel Conversations, I talk to two readers about one book, and together, we summarize the story for you. We introduce you to the characters, we tell you what happens to them, and we read from the book along the way. So if you love hearing a good story, you're in the right place. Our ninth season is coming this fall. Tune in to hear from some of the all-time great authors, Charles Dickens, Jules Verne, F. Scott Fitzgerald, and more. Subscribe to Novel Conversations wherever you listen to podcasts.